Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is uh, Thursday, May 11th. And guys, we have Heat Knicks. Uh, we have a series now with the Heat and Knicks. Uh, we thought Heat's might the Heat might be coming uh, co- going away with it, but the Knicks seem to be coming back and fighting uh, fighting against Miami here. Uh, Justin, do you think the Knicks can come back in this series and uh, take the Heat to seven, and if not, even win the series? I think they have a chance to, but I'm not going to bank on it. I think the Heat close them out tomorrow night. Uh, I think Jimmy Butler has a big game along with uh, the supporting cast in Miami. I think Miami's going back to the Eastern Conference Finals, and uh, I think they, they close it out tomorrow night in six. You're not not worried about the weather? Because, you know, apparently the reason the Knicks struggled down in Miami was because of weather issues, even though the games are played indoors. Even though, right. <laughs> this is not the NFL in, uh, in December when teams from the Northeast are going down to Florida and playing, but – it's the NBA. It's indoors. I mean, come on already. But I, uh, I think analysis. Yeah. <laughs> well, Zach. Well, Zach. It's a three-two series uh, series right now with the Heat up yeah. uh, as they head back. Um, yeah. What do you think that the Knicks have to do to come back in this series and take it to Game Seven? Well, I think Jalen Brunson has to be the best player on the floor, like he was in Game Five. He had 38 points. Really was in control of this, the game. And Julius Randle has to step up. Like he has been kind of their most disappointing player, one of the most disappointing players of the entire postseason. He really didn't do a ton against the Cavs in Round One. Uh, he played all right last night, 24 points, five rebounds. But he's been at best their third best player in the series, and he needs to either be their best player or at least co number one along with Jalen Brunson. So I think for the Knicks to come back in the series, Julius Randle is going to have to step up and then on the defensive end of the floor they're gonna have to get a hold of Jimmy Butler and not allow him to just go off he had 19 points last night that's kind of the performance they're gonna need out of their defense in order to uh, be able to come back in this series you'll live with Duncan Robinson and Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent trying to beat you don't let Jimmy beat you if this game goes to seven guys who wins do you think the Heat pull it out even in uh, New York I think so, actually. I think the Heat, I still am going to pick Miami to win the series, even if it goes to seven games. I just think they're more experienced for a game seven uh, than the Knicks. I mean, they're a young team, obviously, but uh, I think Miami pulls it out in six or I think in six games. I think they close it out tomorrow night at home. I think Miami wins in six, but I think the Knicks win in seven. Well, another series going on right now. We'll head to the West Coast. Uh, Warriors-Lakers. An am- amazing interview with uh, Maria Sorreo from uh, the LA TV. Uh, we have coming on after after this. Uh, amazing interview we have with her breaking down the Warriors and Lakers series. Uh, one thing we don't really talk about in the uh, interview, though, is the supporting cast of the uh, Warriors, especially the backcourt. Uh, I know we mentioned it in the interview, but we don't really go in depth. I mean, Pole has uh, Jordan Pole has been absolutely disastrous for the Warriors uh, so far. Uh, 2022 playoffs, he was amazing. I mean, he averaged 17 points a game, 39% three-point shooting. Um, he played well in the regular season this year as well, but once the playoffs came around, uh, he's been really struggling and really le- really letting down uh, Curry and Thompson. Um, uh, he's only shot 50% from the floor once in the playoffs. Uh 
16 for 60 uh, in three-point shooting in the playoffs so far, and in the last uh, three, uh, in the last five games alone in the Lake up in the Lakers matchup, he's shooting one for 14 from the three. Uh, so he needs to be a lot better. Um, people are constantly beating him on off the dribble. Uh, people are cutting behind him on pick and rolls uh, easier than a chef's knives. I mean, it's not only Poole, though. I mentioned it in the interview as well. It's Stephen Chenzo, you know, Gary Payton the second. It's the whole backcourt of the Warriors that have really been a problem with them this this series. And like I told Maria, it's why the Lakers, I think, have really been able to take advantage of the series and find themselves in the lead that they find themselves in now. So backcourt subs, uh, especially uh, Jer- uh, Jordan Poole, uh, have to play a lot better uh, in, in the next two games for the, for the Warriors to take it back to San Francisco and have any chance of uh, progressing to the Western Conference Finals. Um, but let's continue, though. So let's continue with this series. Um, the Warriors do lose. Yeah. Uh, what what is Green in this whole dynasty that they've had? What what's going to happen with them with them, Justin? Do you think the whole thing gets blown up after this year? Green leaves. Uh, Thompson might c- consider leaving as well. What do you think happens to this dynasty that the Warriors have built uh, over the years? Are they gone? I think they can keep some of it together, but you know, just like in any any sport, you know, even in the NBA, guys will leave. I think that. Draymond could actually leave uh, Golden State. I don't think he's going to be the same player he was. You know, he's a good role player, but I just don't think with um, outside of Golden State he will be the same player. But uh, I think the the Warriors dynasty, you know, they might keep Clay and Seth together, but maybe Draymond. But I think it's potential that Draymond leaves. Well, like I said, a lot more coming from this uh, series uh, when we talk to Maria in a bit. Uh, like I said, amazing interview with her. Definitely stick around to catch that. But we'll keep the theme of going coast to coast going right now and head to the game that's currently going on at the time of this recording, uh, the Celtics and Sixers. Uh, Zach, how do you think the Sixers are playing so far? And do you think they're able to run away with this game and uh, take it back to uh, – and uh, and close out the series, I mean. uh, Well, they did finish the half pretty well. I mean, Tyrese Maxey hit some shots. James Harden really started to play better. Uh, Joel Embiid started to become more of a presence inside. They were down, I think, 14 at one point in the first half. They cut it down to seven. So they're in a reasonably good position. The Celtics are hitting a lot of threes. You figure they're going to cool off at some point. I think the Sixers will figure out a way to come back and win in the second half and win the game tonight and uh, move on to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think James Harden and Joel Embiid are going to be denied. I think the Celtics had a chance to put them away early, didn't do that. And we see so many times when that happens, then the team that should have been put away often comes back and wins the game in the second half. So I think the Sixers will find a way to do that. And I still am actually kind of confident that if this series goes seven, that the Sixers can actually win a seventh game in Boston. They've already won game one and game five up there. They're not intimidated. And, you know, James Harden is always capable of going off at any given time. So I think the Sixers are going to win this series, whether it's tonight or in game seven. Justin, uh, now at halftime, uh, Celtics win – or Celtics, Celtics are up, excuse me, 50-43 to 43 over the Sixers. FanDuel uh, Sportsbook currently has the odds, live odds, at uh, minus six and a half for the Sixers. Justin, what are your thoughts on the game? Do you have any additional thoughts on the game so far, uh, more than what Zach just said? And uh, do you think they win the game or, if nothing else, uh, win the, beat the spread and uh, come come close more closer to than six and a half points to the Celtics on this game? 
I think this is going to be a closer game than I've expected. The Sixers, I think they looked flat in the first quarter and, and even in the first half, you know. The Sixers, if if I was the Sixers, I, I have to go out there and really punch them in the mouth. Just start off strong, you know, get off on a big run, you know, just really, you know, get the momentum, get the momentum going, get the home crowd into it. I mean, if I'm the Sixers so far, I think that, you know, this is hasn't been the best start, but is this doable? Yeah, I think that, you know, they're only down by seven. You know, I think that um, I think that Boston definitely has started off, you know, stronger than they did in Game Five, obviously, and Game Four. But uh, I think this is going to be a closer game down to the wire than I've than I expected. Maybe even maybe even we get another overtime game tonight. You know, the way this could be going. But I, I think that. the Sixers adjust it. In the second half, yeah, I think this is. I think we're going to get an overtime game here in Game Six. And so, as Justin Sack said that even if it goes to Game Seven and we go back to Boston, Sixers still win Game Seven. Uh, what do you do? You think that as well? Because I don't. I think the Celtics will win Game Seven if it does go back to Boston. Uh, what do you think on that, though? Do you have confidence in the Sixers if uh, if they do end up losing tonight and we have a Game Seven? They got to close it out at home tonight. I don't think they can they can win a game 7 on the road in Boston, you know. It's really both teams have had a chance to put it away. I mean, the Celtics obviously in game 4, I mean, they could have went up 3-1 and then the Sixers, you know, if they lose tonight, it's kind of, you know, they had a chance to put them away at home, really eliminate mm-hmm. them on their home court. So, you know, do I think they can win tonight? I think potentially they can win tonight. I think it's I think it's up in the air right now. But if they go, but if they lose tonight in overtime, which I think the game will end in, if they lose in overtime, they're not winning Game Seven in Boston. And both of you guys, do you both think that the winner of this series, the Celtic Sixers, ends up winning the East? Or yes. Are, are you Are you afraid of the Heat? Okay. Yeah, I definitely think Celtics or Sixers, whoever wins this series is going to end up beating Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. We also have Dan Day on this episode uh, talking about the Heat and uh, Knicks series. Um, We'll hear what he has to say about the Heat and their potential to go uh, further down uh, than even just this series and potentially even Eastern Conference Finals and beyond. We'll see what he has to say. Great interview with him as well. Uh, he'll be on after Maria and uh, give us just a great insight into the that the East Coast matchup uh, going on right now, along with the Celtics and Sixers. But we'll head back to the West Coast and talk about the uh, Suns and Nuggets matchup. Uh, Chris Paul, uh, having that groin injury, played the first two games of the series, has not played the last two games. A lot of people are asking, do the Suns need Chris Paul to play? Uh, for them to be successful. And I say, no, uh, we, we know that the Suns won the first two games or excuse me. Um, the Suns, even the series, uh, the last two games with Chris Paul out, uh, they lost the first two when he played. Uh, so that, that right there, just from a a record standpoint, will tell you otherwise as Stephen A. Smith. So eloquently stated this week, Chris Paul slows the pace down. When Chris Paul does not play, uh, it allows Monte Williams to change up his lineup and put in a much faster-paced group of players, younger players, that really, I think, 
benefits the the uh, the Suns' play style. Uh, for example, with Chris Paul out, uh, Cameron Payne has started in his presence. Uh, the, the pace of the game has been tremendously faster for the Suns. Uh, Terrence Ross and uh, TJ Warren added spacing on the floor, which of course we all know helps out Booker, uh, Booker and his amazing shooting potential. But most importantly, uh, slow pace favors the Nuggets. When Chris Paul plays, it's a slower pace, and this favors the Nuggets. Uh, Nuggets are one of the most offensive offensively efficient teams in the league now doesn't mean they score the most points per se uh but when they do with the ball they really take care of it well and they you know they they are very efficient with the ball and make a lot of their possessions and make their possessions count in fact uh according to espn analyst john hollinger uh nuggets have the most efficient offensive player in the league in jokic uh and Suns only have one player in the top 10, and that's Kevin Durant. And in fact, Chris Paul, 76 as far as offensive offensive uh, efficiency ranking. Again, according to John Hollinger from ESPN. A slower pace definitely favors off- uh, offensively efficient teams. And so I think Chris Paul being out, like I said, really does actually benefit the Suns with that faster play style. And we've seen it the last two games uh, with the Suns evening up the series, heading into game five against the Nuggets. Uh, but just, uh, but Zach, uh, mm-hmm. are the Nuggets a real contenders this year? Uh, or do you kind of favor what I'm saying and the Suns might actually have their number with Chris Paul being out? I think they're real contenders. I just don't fully trust everyone outside of Jokic because you know what you're getting out of him. This series is averaging 35, 14, and 10, which is just borderline ridiculous. But you look at the rest of that squad, Jamal Murray's been pretty good for the most part, but Michael Porter Jr. is very up and down. Uh, the rest of the team's very up and down. You know, Aaron Gordon, they're, they're shooting in their wins. They're shooting 48% from three and their losses. They're shooting only 36% from so you, you just don't know which version you're getting on a night-to-night basis. Jokic can get you two to three wins by himself, but I don't have enough confidence in his supporting cast to fully be on board with the Nuggets winning the NBA title. And They're probably the shakiest one seed we've seen in recent memory for that reason. Well, this year, I think every every one seed was shaky. I mean, both in the well, East Yeah, the Bucs are out. I mean, I mean, I mean, obviously the Bucks, yeah, but the Bucks losing, and uh, as everyone said going into this NBA final or I mean NBA playoff season, it's anyone's anyone's year to win it, and, and it really has shown so far uh, from what we've seen. Other sports news: NFL draft or NFL schedule, excuse me, came out today tonight. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that with Maria, but we also have NHL playoffs going on as well. Uh, before we get into that, though. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks have won the lottery uh, just a couple of nights ago. They will be picking first in the 2023 NHL lottery. Um, I think it's pretty much a lock at this point that Connor Bedard is going to be picked number one. Connor Bedard from Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatchewan excuse me, hard to say. Um, I'm curious what the ceiling for the Blackhawks is going to be after uh, they get Connor Bedard. I mean, a lot of people are saying that he's going to not only change the franchise of the Blackhawks, but change the game in general. I mean, he really is just that much of a talent and once-in-lifetime hockey talent. 
just in the 90 minutes following the news of the draft lottery, uh, the Blackhawks sold $2.5 million worth of tickets. Um, but I don't think that's all. I think that's all Connor Bedard's going to do. I think he's just going to bring some reputation to the franchise and help make money for the franchise. Uh, to expect the Blackhawks to all of a sudden be playoff contenders is a bit much. Uh, McDavid, best player right now on the ice, even he has not won a playoff victor- victory past the second round in his seven years in the league. That's despite having uh, the, sec- the second best player in NHL, Saudi on the team as well. Um, at the end of the day, hockey is still a team sport, and even the best players are only on the ice for a third of the time. And so I just he's definitely going to be a fun player to watch, but Chicago definitely still needs to boister up its roster in addition to Bedard before they can actually start becoming legitimate playoff contenders. There's just simply not enough pieces around Bedard uh, for the team to go far next year. Uh, But things do look very high for the Blackhawks right now. Very, it's a very exciting time for Chicago uh, hockey fans. Uh, Fifth best prospect pool in the NHL Chicago has, uh, young prospects. Uh, and, and along with the number one pick, they also have five additional first round and second round picks this year in the upcoming 2023 NHL draft. And experts that know a lot more about hockey than I are saying that the top 50 draft picks uh, this year in the NHL draft are some of the best top 50 that they've seen in the history of the NHL. So definitely Exciting thing for Chicago. I think next year is going to be a rebuilding year for them. But, you know, give it two, three years. Get Bedard uh, hopefully living up to his potential and uh, getting his feet wet in the big leagues. And it's going to be an exciting time for Chicago hockey fans out there. Um, so uh, what are we thinking about uh, why the Leafs struggled in the playoffs so far, Zach? Uh, kind of switching gears and going to the Leafs, Oilers, uh matchup here why are the Leafs struggling in the playoffs Zach why do you think well they were able to win last night and stave off elimination but yeah I think their biggest problem has been uh consistency as far as scoring I mean we've seen throughout this series they uh, they've had three of their three losses they had one goal in one of them and two goals in the other two games like in an NHL postseason where there's been more scoring than any postseason in recent memory that hasn't caught up to uh that hasn't benefited the Leafs any so uh their skating hasn't been all that strong you know their their four checks aren't strong they're getting a lot of penalty minutes so they were able to get by and I think they showed a lot of poise against Tampa in the first round I'm not seeing that poise in close late game situations this time around an overtime loss couple of late close losses they were the team that came through against the uh three-time defending Eastern Conference champ in the first round and for whatever reason in this series, that has not been the case. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll, we'll switch to the Panthers side of things. Justin, what do you think has been the key to the Panthers' success this year that they've had? I mean, up 3-1, uh, many people thought they were going to uh, sweep the Leafs last night. They weren't able to do that. But, Justin, in your opinion, what have been this? What have been the reason that Florida Panthers have been so successful in the playoffs so far? I think it's taking advantage of the underdog role. And, you know, I talk about this a lot. We talk about this with the hockey playoffs. You never know who you never know what's going to happen, especially with a team like the Florida Panthers, who basically just snuck its way into the playoffs. And, you know, look at what they did against Boston. 
you know, now that momentum has been continuing against uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs and scoring. I think scoring and and goaltending has really been a key factor for Florida's success in this playoffs and really really playing with less pressure, you know, in these hockey playoffs in these Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, and I and I mentioned too, just kind of going touching briefly on the Oilers and uh, Golden Knights series. Uh, Oilers win last night. Series now tied two two. I like the Oilers a lot. Uh, they haven't been playing as well this series as they did last series as far as offensive potential goes. But I really do like the Oilers to come away and beat Vegas and uh, head to the Western Conference uh, Finals. And I think they're they're going to win the Western Conference Finals too and actually go to the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, or the Stanley Cup. Excuse me. But we'll see what happens there. Uh, we'll head on to the other uh, Western uh, series going on right now, and the, the Kraken and the Stars. Uh, they play tonight, uh, 9.30, TNT. Uh, Kraken have been an amazing story. It just kind of shows you how well the NHL expansion draft is set up. Um, easily, they have the best expansion draft out of any of the major sports teams in America. Uh, we, I mean, we can see it every single time. An MLB team, NBA team, NFL team come in. It takes them five, six, seven, if not even eight years before they actually get competitive. It's bad for the fans. Uh, they don't, you know, they, they can't get uh, backing with the fans, with the expansion teams, with other uh, with other professional sports teams in America, which of course leads to less money for the franchise, and less money means less success, and it's just a vicious cycle. But NHL, uh, NHL. Uh, reamp their expansion draft criteria and the rules regarding the expansion drafts in 2017. And ever since then, we've had the Vegas Golden Knights and the, uh, the Kraken, both having amazing success. Uh, we all know Vegas went to the Stanley Cup uh, their first year in the expansion and then Kraken obviously doing amazing things uh, in their second year here uh, in the, in, you know, still in the playoffs, well in the playoffs and uh, even a chance to, compete for the Western Conference final. Um, so, but Justin, our final series that we have not talked about so far, uh, the Rangers and the Hurricanes, or excuse me, excuse me, the Devils and the Hurricanes. A lot of people were saying that the Rangers were just bad and the Devils are not good. Uh, what do you think? Are the Devils good or were the Rangers just bad? And who do you think ultimately ends up winning this, uh, this series uh, against the Devils and the Hurricanes? The time of this recording, uh, going into the third period, uh, Devils and Hurricanes tied two two. Um, who wins this game? And then, if it is, if it's not Carolina, does the Devils have a chance to even come back in this? I think uh, with the first question here, the Devils are a very a very young team. I mean, you know, the Rangers. I mean, they had the speed too. The Rangers just did not have the speed in this in this series. I think the Devils really showed up, and and they real and you know, you see all these plays. All, a lot of their goals were on odd man rushes, two on one, three on ones, three on twos. I mean, the Devils just really got to the net, and they had a lot of those two on one plays. The Rangers, I wouldn't say they were afraid. But I think the Rangers are a very dysfunctional organization. I'll say that. They fired their coach, Gerard Gallant, uh, after they lost the series. After after two seasons, actually, almost got him to the Stanley Cup Finals in his first year. And then being up 2 nothing 
against the Devils. You gotta close the gap. You gotta win. You gotta go up 3-0. You know, you gotta win. You know, you gotta really pump the brakes on the Devils here. You really gotta, even though you might not win the series in four, you can win it in five or six games. But you gotta go up 3-0. They're back then then you put their backs against the wall. That's what the problem was for the Rangers in this series. They could not close out the Devils. But for the Devils, you know, I think they're outmatched here against Carolina. I know it's 2-2 going into the third, but I think Carolina wins this series. And as, as I said, I think Carolina can get to the Stanley Cup Finals this year out of the Eastern Conference. So I think the Devils had a good run. Don't get me wrong, but I think that, um, that Carolina, with their consistency, you know, mm-hmm. the Devils, I'm going to say this, very much like the Rangers last year, you know, young mm-hmm. team. I didn't see them being, you know, a number number two team in, in the Metropolitan Division. And they just, you know, they came back from 2 nothing against the Rangers. You know, the Rangers were down 3-1 against Pittsburgh last year. And they came back and won the series. Eventually, they, they were down 2-0 and 3-2 against Carolina. They come back and win that. And then they're down, and then they're up two nothing against the defending Stanley Cup champion Lightning, and they're up two nothing in Game Three. Tampa Bay comes back and wins Game Three, and they win the next three games and go on to the Stanley Cup Final. So I think that's similar to the Devils uh, this year, but I think that um, I think that they lose in the second round to Carolina. Ultimately, I think Carolina wins tonight in five games. I think Carolina is actually one of the most underrated teams going to the playoffs. I've been pretty vocal on that, actually. Uh, We talked about it on past shows. No one was really talking about Carolina um, this year. I mean, all the all the attention, I think, was on, you know, Vegas, L.A., Oilers. I think surprisingly, people were even talking about the Rangers having a chance to make a run in the playoffs here. We all saw how that happened. Um, but yeah, I, I care. I mean, I've been very open and honest in upfront that Oilers are definitely my favorite Western conference team. Uh, but I think the uh, hurricane were my favorite Eastern conference team uh, going into the playoffs. And I, I really think they have a chance to make a run. I mean, I think they're going to, I agree with you, Justin, I think they're going to win tonight and eventually go on to the Western conference finals. But, I don't know. I think they really have a chance to uh, to win the Western Conference Finals as well and go on to the Stanley Cup. They're a sleeper team for sure. Like I said, that no, not many people were talking about going into the playoffs. It would well, be a rematch of the 06 Stanley Cup Finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Title. That's right. yeah. 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 Well, guys, let's uh, let's if, without further ado, let's head to Maria. Uh, talk some uh, more into the Lakers Warriors matchup. Uh, great interview, two great interviews today. We got Maria first, and then we'll head we'll head to the Miami and talk to Dan Day about uh, Miami sports in general, but uh, majority talking about Miami and Knicks matchup as well as we head into uh, Friday Friday night's matchup. So here is Maria. Okay, we now welcome on Maria Soreo from uh, RPV TV in Los Angeles. Uh, Maria, we got game uh, six here in on Friday night in L.A. Are we worried in, uh, in L.A. about the Warriors, or do we think we're going to take care of business on Friday night, or are they going to force a game seven and head back to uh, San Francisco? Oh, you're talking about that. We Are we worried? 
Yes, we are worried. It is always troublesome when you're up 3-1, and then that other team creeps back in, especially when that other team is the Warriors. And so, yes, I believe that Laker fans are a little bit on edge, to say the least, yes. So what can we expect out of Anthony Davis? Because he seems like an every-other-game kind of player to begin with, but it sounds like he's going to be able to play in Game 6. doesn't sound like he has a concussion or anything. So what's kind of the mindset there? What's the rumblings with Anthony Davis where he'll have a 30-21 and 21 game and then the next game he'll have like 10? Well, so here's kind of the rumbling is we've seen these teams have difference makers. You know, it seemed like for the Lakers it's been Anthony Davis um, – and he has got to be consistent even going into this next game because if he isn't, if he doesn't play well, then they're going to have to heavily depend on LeBron and the bench to really make a difference, which hasn't really worked out over the season. So I think that, that Anthony Davis is just going to have to step his game up. If he doesn't, I think the Lakers are going to struggle. So if AD is truly healthy, if there's really nothing else going on, um, I think that we're going to have to see more from him, and we can't have that every other game thing. I mean, this is – if the Warriors win this game tomorrow, then they're back to even, and then what happens? So I think he's got to have a big game. Steve Kerr is, uh, we all know, 19-0 and against Western teams in the playoffs. Um, that's – I mean, it, it's always tough to close out the defending champ, it's a, especially a team that's so explosive like the like the Warriors – um, what has worked in the games where the Lakers have won uh, against the Warriors and what has not worked in the games that they've lost? That's you know, I think I, it is. That's a, that's a really loaded question, but I think it really always comes down to defense. I mean, it, it just does. If you are, if you are on your opponent, if you are, if you're, you know, getting the takeaways, then you have a much better shot at winning the game. And, you know, I think when the guys are exhausted, when they're tired and you don't see the defense as strong as you do at other games, it, it just always comes over down to the turnovers. And I think we've seen that with the Lakers, especially in this series. I mean, when they are on and when they are, are down there, when they're in the paint and getting those really tough buckets, and that's where you see them getting ahead. I think with the Warriors, let's face it, you know, you live by the three, you die by the three, and they're so good at it. But when they're missing just too many, too many buckets because they're, you know, they're missing the threes, and then the Lakers are going back down and they are hitting it hard in the paint, they're getting ahead. So I think that if you're going to knock the Warriors off their game a little bit, you definitely have a shot. And let's face it, LeBron is LeBron. He's one of the best, if not, you could argue, the best in the game. And right now, he's not worried. You know, he's like, it's a closeout game. We all know they're hard. But if he can get it together and AD can play well, they were real shot at knocking the Warriors off. Is it kind of encouraging that we really haven't had that spectacular LeBron performance yet? We haven't had the 40-point game or the 35-point triple-double. It's been largely a lot of 25, 9, and 6, which for every other player would be considered a great stat line for LeBron. It's, oh, he's playing good, not great. But should the Lakers be encouraged if we haven't seen that? And is that big LeBron game coming in Game 6 or Game 7? I think what people have to start to really recognize, nobody really wants to talk about it, is LeBron is not young. OK, LeBron is he's getting up there in age. And I think that maybe 
maybe will we ever see that LeBron again? I don't know. I mean, for, for him right now to do what he's doing, I think is pretty spectacular. And I think that that's why there's so many key players around the court that really need to help him. And Anthony Davis, let's face it, you know, he's the heir apparent to the to everything. And LeBron is that really, really great piece that's still there that we're they're lucky to have him. But I don't know that we ever really see that LeBron again. Has um has Reeves been a surprise this postseason? Because I I mean I I wasn't even I, I was familiar with him before the playoffs have started, but his name has really been jumping out to me a lot this uh, playoffs, and I didn't actually know he was the caliber player that he was uh, before the playoffs started. So, what has changed with him, and how has he been able to be so productive for the Lakers? You know, I think that for a lot of the guys, especially the younger guys, the younger players, they have been really surprising a lot of people. Um, but when they came into the picture, came onto the team, you know, they they needed young players. Let's face it. You know, like last year, what happened that the, all those old guys on the team, I mean, you were forgetting that they were all all-stars at one time or another. And that really just did not work. So now you've got a team with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, that is spectacular. And now we've got all of these really nice pieces around, okay, like Reeves and like some of the younger players that, are able to step up. They're able to start to feel their place on the court and they are making a difference. Let's face it. And, you know, I think that they're also feeling like, okay, you know, sometimes I think they're a little bit intimidated by LeBron. Let's face it. Okay. Because he's LeBron and he's out there. And when he wants to take over, he's going to take over on the court. But I think he's actually giving them a little bit of time to, to realize, okay, this is my time. I can take the shot. You know, he's passing the ball to me. I can take the shot. So I think that Reeves is able to feel his own a little bit, and that's why he's been so successful. Yeah, how about Lonnie Walker, too? I mean, that's another name that's been – I mean, he's he's definitely been playing well in the regular season, but definitely has stepped it up for a bench player in the postseason. has been really helping out the Lakers uh, give them some success. Uh, do you do you think the bench is just who, whose bench do you think is has more depth? Because uh-huh. I think the Lakers. I think in this series, I think the Lakers uh, bench or depth is more than the Warriors, only because the backcourt for the Warriors really have not been helping Steph and uh, Thompson out at all. That the, no. you know you got you got Poole, you got uh, you know other backcourt players, uh, Dave Vincenzo. They really have not been helping out. Uh, the Warriors too much at all. And I think that's been one of the biggest uh, downfalls to the Warriors and why the Lakers have been able to, you know, be up three, two. Now it's, it's really just been the play of the bench players, as, as you mentioned. And not only that, but you know, Darvin Ham has talked about that, that they really do have to spread the ball around. Now I have to ask you guys, are you guys surprised at Darvin Ham? Are you surprised about his coaching? A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am. I thought he was a good assistant with the Bucks and seeing what they've done. I mean, they, this team started two and ten, and to get into the playoffs, I think already shows his coaching ability. So the fact that he's matching wits with Steve Kerr, not that surprising, honestly. I mean, he's been in the league forever, obviously, and it, you know he's been such a great assistant coach, as you mentioned. But I think that he is starting to he's kind of starting to feel his way as well. It was interesting. Um, there, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking to him, and when things, this was before the playoffs, about, 
you know, how are you feeling about the team and so forth and so on. And he said, you know, when I came in here, I knew this was going to be a big challenge. You know, like he realized that, okay, we've got an aging LeBron James, we've got Anthony Davis. And once he got the younger players in, which I think he really rallied for that, um, I think that once they got to the playoffs, he was like, you know, this is the team I wanted to see. I, I think for a long time, we just didn't see that with the Lakers. We just saw this other group and the people that they wanted in there. But I think that Darwin has a nice mix now of players. And I think that's really what's working for them. So Lakers taking this whole thing personally about the whole, oh, these guys are floppers and, you know, Steve Kerr calling them out in the media, the Warriors kind of calling them out. Like, do the Lakers take this personally? And if they are, how are they using it to fuel kind of uh, their run right now? You know what? It's, It's so funny you say that. I don't think that LeBron is taking it personally. I think that he has been in this position so many times. And I think his calm watching him after the games and he's just kind of like, you know, they did what they needed to do. They won on their home court. We'll be back Friday at ours. And, you know, he is, his calm is actually helping everybody else. Otherwise let's face it. They're young. They would be freaking out right now. It really is amazing. You go back to late February, not even earlier, mid February, but late February. I mean, we had, you know, 538 giving the Lakers 40% chance to make the playoffs and then basketball reference 10% chance or 40% chance to miss the playoffs, excuse me. Uh, and then five, uh, basketball reference giving them a 10% chance to make the playoffs. And now, you know, if they get past the Warriors, you can really argue that they have a chance to win the West. And it's been just an amazing turnaround of events. And I think the Lakers this year have been a prime example when they were saying how it's anyone's a year to take it this year. And I, like I said, they really have been that prime example of uh, just this playoff being so open this year. I think that it, it's interesting you say that too, because I think that you, like you said, back in February, nobody was, in fact, it was all about the Clippers. Like, yeah, the Clippers, they'll, they'll make it to the playoffs, but the Lakers probably won't. And then, you know, they get all the injuries and now here we are, it's the Lakers. And again, I think that when the trades were made and the younger players came over, I think that was really the difference because before that, they were just, they were not gelling. There was not chemistry going on. And Anthony Davis, I I just think he's been the the difference maker for the Lakers. And then having the young legs and the bench ready to come off and get to work, I just think that's been the difference as well. What were your thoughts on LeBron being third team All-NBA and Anthony Davis not making an All-NBA team? You know, I, I I think that that's kind of par for the course. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to give it to all of them. And LeBron is always going to come first. And I think Anthony Davis is biding his time. I don't really think he cares. So I'm going to ask you the classic question uh, we always get. Who do the Lakers want to see? Who, who would they rather see, the Suns or the uh, Nuggets? Oh, I think they'd rather see the Suns. The Nuggets are on this crazy run right now i mean so many people that i know are saying you know the nuggets are they're just on a roll something's going on something special and so if that's the case i don't think anybody wants to see the nuggets so i would say that the suns probably but if you ask lebron that you know you know the answer he's going to tell you he's going to say it doesn't matter who we see he just wants to get to the next the defense i mean we 
the biggest knock for the Lakers, and you alluded to it earlier, is their defense. Uh, yes. I think the Nuggets are one of the most, if not the most, uh, offensively efficient teams in the league. And then right. in the, up on the other side, Suns have been playing really well with Chris Paul out. And so it's going to be a tough matchup. I don't think either way, whatever team makes it through, it's going to be a tough matchup, matchup for the Lakers. But like yeah. you said, uh, LeBron doesn't care. Uh, they're going to make game plans to match up against any team that they ultimately do uh, go ahead against. Um, so, but yeah. Um, so Friday night, uh, would you consider it a must win on game six Friday night? Because you do I not want to go back is. to seven and uh, it's San Fran. You know that everybody wants a Game 7, of course. You know the NBA wants a Game 7. The Laker fans don't want a Game 7. But pretty much everybody else wants that Game 7. And I'll tell you what, it, it's interesting because that that stadium, that arena will be loud. It will be very loud on Friday night. And, you know, it's helpful to always be on your home court. But another thing to consider moving on to the next round for either of these teams is you know, how much energy do you have left? You know, because that next round, it, whether it be the Suns or Denver, it's going to be tough. So these teams are, they're stretching themselves right now. And I don't know, I don't know if either one of these teams are going to be ready for the next round, but you really have to get on that. You've got to, you've got to have the momentum. And I think right now the Warriors have the momentum from last night. And so if they obviously if they don't win tomorrow night then it'll be the lakers but the lakers if they win tomorrow night they need to have a dominant win because what's ahead of them are is no it's going to be a rough road it's a nice symmetry from the uh, opening series it's playing out the exact same way lakers steal game one blowout loss game two blowout win game three close win game four kind of blowout loss game five i think it was uh, the Grizzlies is a little more of a blowout than last night was, but kind of falling right in line with how that series went. So we should expect the Lakers to win by 40 tomorrow night if that turns out to be the case. Or the Warriors to win by what? Like two? I mean, how, how do you see it? What do the Warriors have to do to beat the Lakers? Let me uh, I, think guys. I think it's as simple as if stuff goes off and he gets either Clay or Poole. One of those guys has to step up around him. I am of the mindset I do think the Lakers are going to close it out if Anthony Davis is healthy, and that appears to be the case. I think their size is too much for the Warriors. I expect the Lakers to win tomorrow, but I'm with you. If they don't win tomorrow, I have a very hard time imagining they're going to win game seven. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Golden State's got to show up tomorrow night. Very, they got to show up and – Curry's got to have the same game he did last night along with along with Clay Thompson even. Right, absolutely. And oh, you've got to have those guys, you know, there's always a difference maker. Like for the Lakers, let's face it, it really has been Anthony Davis. So I think that when he went down last night, it gave took pause for everybody kind of a, like, you know, had a deep breath like, "Oh my god, is he not going to be able to play Friday night?" But it looks like he does not have a concussion, so he'll be ready to play and I, once again, I think he's going to make a huge difference if, if the Lakers do win tomorrow. Is there confidence in the Lakers in close game situations because they won game one down the stretch, they won game four, you know, LeBron, Lonnie Walker, Anthony Davis, those guys came up and made the clutch shots where Steph Curry did not make the clutch shots in game four, Jordan Poole missed the big shot in game one. Like, is there a confidence there that if the game's close that the Lakers feel because they have LeBron that they're more composed, that they're more kind of – they know what they're doing as opposed to the Warriors right now? I think that there is to a point because 
again, I, I do think that without Anthony Davis, they don't even, they're not even here right now because he's been hurt so much of the season. And then when he got healthy and he was in there playing, mm-hmm. it, their season changed. And of course, like, you know, the younger legs and all that. But with LeBron there, you always know that LeBron is going to be LeBron. Maybe not the old LeBron, but he's still got that confidence that comes in that he's he always thinks that he is going to win. The team is going to win. And that's just because he's LeBron James. So I think that everybody else feeds on that, you know, because if they don't, then they're probably not having a game six tomorrow night. Talk about everyone else feeding on that energy. Um have people been uh, upset with Hachimura and how he's been playing, or have they been he's playing just as well as he should be for a bench player? Because I've actually been, I think he's actually been underperforming uh, for his hype that he had coming into the Lakers as a, as a role player. Um, what, what are the thoughts on the fans? I mean, I know uh, he had that one game against uh, Golden State when they were they were in San Francisco where he scored 21, but the last three games, uh, five points, uh, two points, four, and then four points on Wednesday. Um, what, what are the, I mean, are they, are they upset with him or with Hachimura? Or are they just saying, well, for a bench player and, uh, you know, a role player, he's, he's contributing exactly like he should be. You know what? I think right now, because the Lakers are, are actually in the playoffs, I think the fans from a fan perspective, they're just glad that they're still in it and that they're playing well, because let's face it, they were not supposed to be here. Okay, and so the fact that they they have their guys playing, they're gelling, the chemistry is there. The fans right now, they just want to see the W and they're not saying too much about specific players, key players here or there, um, just that they're winning. Now, if the Lakers end up losing this series, they'll hate them all. They all should be fired. Darvin Ham should be fired. (laughs) That's how Laker fans are. So that's how it will go down. All right, well. We'll see what happens. We're all excited to all excited to see it. Um, like you alluded to, Zach, they've been closing out games, uh, late games, very well, and it's awkward because that's usually what the Warriors have been doing in the last, you know, four that's or five right. years. They're the team that's been closing out games uh, down the stretch. But I still think just how explosive they are on offense and just yeah, being the title uh, content, uh, contenders. I just think they're gonna be defenders. I mean. They're going to be really hard to close out. And uh, as we all know, you definitely do not want to go back to San Francisco for game seven because that will be you a do not. tough No, tough you do outing. not. So. And I think um, that, you know, with, with Steph being off of his game a little bit, you know, I think, like you said, when he's on, he's on. When he's hitting the threes and Thompson's hitting them and, you know, you've got all the playmakers really working together, they're very hard to beat. Let's face it, they're in the same place. They're in the playoffs. You know, they're the champions. But – they just haven't been the Warriors that we've been used to. Uh, on just related news, uh, I mean, not unrelated news, I should say, uh, schedule comes out today, tonight, for the yes. Rams. Uh, I'm sure you know you're familiar with uh, who they are going to play. Uh, any particular matchups that were that were that you have already marked off on your calendar for the Rams upcoming? I'm always I'm always excited when they play the Cowboys. I'm excited yeah. that they're going back to New York this year. Um, they're going to Green Bay this year, which that's going to be a kind of a wild card. Um, and then, of course, they'll go to San Francisco and everybody in their division. Um, but what I'm really excited about is we talked to Aaron Donald yesterday, and he is 100% committed. And so many people thought he was going to retire, which 
I knew that him and McVeigh were absolutely not going to retire because could you just imagine what Sean McVeigh would do if he got up at 4.30 in the morning and did not have a team to, to go to? I mean, that guy, his wife would kick him out of the house in about five minutes because he needs football. He needs to be at work talking about football and putting things together for football. So uh, even though I think it's going to be a very different year for the Rams, um, I'm kind of excited to see what they're going to put together with the pieces that they do have. Yeah, it just came out. The Rams will be playing two primetime games. They'll play a Monday night game against Cincinnati at Cincinnati, and then they're going to play at home against the Saints December 21st. It'll be a Thursday night. That'll be fun. The schedule overall, I'm looking at it now as well, it doesn't look too bad. I mean, I agree with you, Maria. I think this could be a, definitely a turnaround season for the Rams. I mean, I think the they, they play the uh, Cincinnati, the Bengals, as Seth right. just said, and then uh, two weeks later they play the Eagles. But then other than that, their opponents, uh, we got yeah, you know, San Francisco, obviously San Francisco twice, but then the Seattle. Giants, uh, Saints, uh, watch the Commanders, Baltimore, who knows what they're going to be by week 14. I mean, that's they're always kind of a question mark, especially with Lamar Jackson and his health. Uh, yep. Browns, Cardinals, Seahawks, twice obviously, and then you know Packers, Cowboys. So it's not it's a doable schedule. It is a doable uh, it's definitely schedule. a doable schedule, and it, it'll be interesting to see how they do this year. Um, but yeah, uh, but Maria, this has been awesome. Anything else uh, you want to talk about LA sports wise? I mean, the Kings unfortunately couldn't get it yeah, done this year. Work out. <laughs> yeah, um, how are the fans feeling about the? I mean, did well, they have? Higher expectations than where they went, or did the Kings kind of finish off uh, where they were supposed to, or did they even succeed expectations this year that fans thought they were going to do? Again, they were kind of one of those teams that were sort of up and down all year. There was one point in the year when everybody thought, you know, forget it. They're not even going to make it to the playoffs. So I think they exceeded expectations. But, you know, the real story right now is, you know, what's going to happen with the Angels and Shoei Otani? That's kind of the big story nobody really mm -hmm. wants to talk about it but everybody is whispering about it because if the angels can stay in first place they'll keep shohei but if they don't will he be a dodger will he be a met will they trade him mm -hmm. mid-season so baseball is even though it's very early in the season this is going to be a very very interesting year for baseball in los angeles will they trade shohei though with him being a free agent well, next year think that... about this if yeah. They don't trade him, and he walks at the end of the season. They'll get nothing for him. Well, I mean, from the other side, from the people that would trade for him, I, I know it's it's not. I mean, I know if they trade for him, obviously they get him, and free agency would be a lot more uh, competitive, obviously. But that's, I mean, it's not. It's not going to. Teams will have to give up a lot for him, obviously. A lot. I just always seem I, I always think it's crazy for teams to trade for someone that big when they'll be a free agent next year, especially with baseball where uh, you know it's obviously a nine man roster and offense and one person's not going to win you a World Series. It's almost like I would just rather roll the dice and wait for them to come to the free agency and try to get them and compete for them then. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it, it, it's an interesting uh, dynamic with the Angels right now. They're almost competing not. For just to compete, but they're competing just to keep Shohei. It's the Shohei, uh, Shohei Otani season, really. Yeah. I mean, and you know, is Artie Moreno going to spend another half a billion dollars on a second player? I don't think he is. So, who else has the money? You know, that's going to be follow the money. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens for sure. Well, right now they're uh, second in the uh, AL West. 
So yeah. uh, just just behind the Texan or Texas Rangers, excuse me. Right. Uh, Texas doesn't play. I mean, they should. They theoretically could even be one. Rangers. I don't know what's going on with them this year. I don't think the Rangers know what's going on. That that's been a surprise to everyone in the baseball world how, how well they're doing this year. That's right. Um, but yeah, but yeah. I mean, at this point, they're probably on pace to at least win ninety, if if not more. But of course, baseball is you know seasoned of up and downs for every single team, and who knows? Uh, Texas might go down and they might go up or even vice versa. And the, you know, the lead for the Rangers might even be, might even increase as we go on with the season. We just never really know with baseball. It's, it's just, it's so streaky and we'll have to see what happens with Shohei and keep a close eye on him. Um, I'm going to keep a close eye on him and we'll have to talk again, kind of like mid July, because that's where it's going to get really interesting. You guys, I'm telling you right now. Any uh, particular names, I mean, that you've heard of that might be interesting? I mean, everyone, obviously, but actually, actual bidders that midseason could actually afford to trade for Shohei. And have you heard of any calls yes. coming in the front office? If, if, you even just, if you even just Google Shohei Otani possible team, an actual picture of him shows up in a Dodger uniform. Nice. So, oh, wow. the fact that the Dodgers didn't make any moves in the offseason – they have amazing prospects that, of course, everybody wants. And they have some pieces. And I think that that could be a possibility. Shohei does not want to go to the East Coast, so maybe not the Mets, even though the Mets have the money. They're talking Padres. The Padres have already spent a ton of money. I don't think they have it. Um, maybe the Giants. But, you know, I think the Dodgers are, I think the, Dodgers are the team. Yeah, my first thought was the Mets until I found out he didn't want to go to the East Coast because Steve Cohen, we know he always likes to write uh, big checks, and the Mets have pieces and everything. But if he doesn't want to go to the East Coast, then obviously they're out. So I guess it's, uh, yeah, it sounds like the Dodgers to beat. It sounds like it is, but we'll see. I mean, like I said, if the Angels stay first, second place, I think that there won't be there won't be a trade. But then come at the end of the season, it's going to be a free-for-all. Yeah. Well, people do joke about MLB rigged, or people joke about MLB rigged all the time. And, you know, if it's true, <laughs> that would be him being traded to the Dodgers midseason and then having an Angels-Dodgers World Series would be uh, oh, yeah, that would be quite insane. the storyline. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. That would be – well, you know everybody wants it to be Dodgers and Yankees, right? Of course. Like someday – New York, that, L.A. <laughs> that's it. New York, L.A. So maybe someday we'll get to see that too. I don't know. I would love it to be the, the – the Angels and the Dodgers, because I wouldn't have to go very far. So that'd be fine with me. Uh, the travel would be easier. That's for sure. Travel would be good. That's right. That's <laughs> right. The traffic in LA is always pretty bad, as I hear. That's true. I can only imagine being what? What do you got? Eight million people? Eight million people there? I, what, what is the population there in LA? Close enough. Eight, ten, something like that. Yes. Yeah. It just, after, after one or two, I think you just kind of, it's, you just say it's big. And then you, you that's right. How much, yeah. That's that's why we can uh, well, have two teams. Yeah, <laughs> two yeah, teams in New York, York, right? Yeah, exactly. Like like New York, right? Definitely, um, which is even bigger. 100%. All right, Maria. Well, this has been awesome. We really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely do this again, maybe in the summer. Uh, um, Let's do it. You know, as we get closer to the NFL season starting, and uh, you know, like you said, the Shohei Otane lottery is uh, ramping up, and we get some more news coming out of there. Okay, so do you guys all have a pick for the NBA Finals? You got to do it. Um, really? I mean, I really don't. I mean, I. The, I'm going I Sixers, guess. Lakers. Ooh. 
for some reason, I don't have confidence in the Nuggets. I, I don't know why. Um, the Suns, I do think, have been playing very well uh, once Chris Paul has kind of went down. I, they're playing with a much faster pace, and I think that's been really helping them. Uh, yeah. I, I, I could definitely see the Suns beating the Nuggets and then I think giving the Lakers problems. And then I will say, though, I think the Celtics will overtake the Sixers. Uh, that's going to be my prediction. I think the Celtics actually win tonight, and then they, they close it out. Uh, back in uh, on game seven as well. So I think I'm going to go Celtics uh, Nuggets and then maybe even Celtics winning it all. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I think that it could be possible. But now what I'm seeing with, with game six here, Celtics are up by 13 points in the second quarter. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I think Denver gets out of the Western Conference, in my opinion. I think the Nuggets get over the hump and they get to the finals. As far as the East, I I can see – I can – you know, I'm still going to put my faith in the Sixers. I think the Nuggets will beat them, though. I think the Nuggets will actually, will actually win the finals. The Sixers and the Celtics, too. I mean, in this series and throughout the playoffs, I mean, they've looked pretty inconsistent. I mean, one – you look at this series – one game, the Sixers, you know, come out, they, they win. Then the Celtics, you know, have a big performance in games two and three. And then, you know, the Sixers almost lose game four, but then they then they lose. Then they still are able to win. We talked about earlier, five, every game right? has been like this in the playoffs. Oh, I a know. Lot of, a lot of series so have been like true. this in the playoffs, up and down. You win by a lot, and then you lose, then you lose by a lot the next game. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, historically the NBA playoffs have been like that. It's 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 always been very choppy. It, it's almost like load management to a point. Like I, I think teams kind of put a lot of effort into one game. They get a game under the belt, and then they you know put the foot off the gas to conserve energy because it's such a long playoffs and almost figure that they have to do that in order to conserve their energy and last you know up until June if that's their intention and that's their plans. Um, you didn't give us a year. How about you, Marie? What, what are you thinking? Are, are you going to oh, uh, go, so, go with the Lakers or are you not going to go with the Lakers? You know, I thought the Warriors were going to close out this series. And when they went down three games to one, I was like, oh, maybe not. But there is something about Denver. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're just due. It's their time. They're on a roll. But I think it might be Denver and the Celtics. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Although I do love to... Doc Rivers, so I would love to see it be the 76ers too. So either way. Yeah. Uh, last two seasons, obviously Jokic won MVP. They got bumped right. pretty early in the playoffs. And then it'll be a thing. It'll be quite something if the year he doesn't win MVP, they actually end up winning <laughs> the finals. Just exactly. bad timing on, on his part, I guess. Uh, before we head out, do you want to give us an NHL? I, I don't. Oh. We, we here follow the NHL a little less than NBA for sure, but. Uh, what, what do, you, do, what do you, here, you think about NHL? Um, you know what? I, I don't know. I mean, will it be a Canadian team finally? Because there hasn't been one in a while. I mean, or will it be Florida? Uh, you know, there's just everything's kind of everything's kind of I don't know. I do like Maybe. the Oilers a lot. Uh, I like the Oilers since the start of the playoffs, so I'm definitely picking them out of out, out of the West, but. East, I don't, I couldn't even tell you. It's hard. Even, yeah, maybe the Devils. I'll, I'll go with the Devils or yeah, Oilers. That, that'll be my pick. So, and do, have you now have you guys looked at this NFL schedule like in detail or not yet? 
Yeah, I've looked into it a little bit. Any surprises? Uh, I'm surprised about the first game. The Lions and the Chiefs. I would go Dolphins-Chiefs. I mean, that's, you know, Tyreek Hill going back to Kansas City and, you know, to – That's a good call. My pick would have been uh, Eagles-Chiefs. I would have just got the Super Bowl rematch out of the way right away week one, and you could save the Bills, the Bengals for later in the season with more playoff ramifications. The thing that surprised me is the Packers are still getting five primetime games, even though Jordan Love is there instead of Aaron Rodgers. Like, they're really counting on Jordan Love to be good. Like, I do not want the Packers this year to turn into uh, the Broncos last year, and everybody thought, oh, they got Russell Wilson, so we're going to put them on a bunch of primetime games because they're going to be good, and it turned out the Broncos were not good at all. And we were gouging our eyeballs – trying to watch those primetime games. It was awful. What's your feeling about Jimmy G in Las Vegas? Because out here, this is a huge, huge, huge thing. Huge thing. I think Jimmy's the bridge quarterback. I think he's there for a year or two, and then they're going to draft the guy that ends up being the future of the Raiders. I don't think Jimmy's the future of the Raiders. I think You know what? I hope for his sake he does really well for the next year or two, and gets them back to a, a good playoff run. I think that would be so good for the Raiders. You know, the NFL is more fun when the Raiders are good. It just is. Yeah, it is. You know, I think Jimmy's. I think Jimmy's unfortunately going to get them into that purgatory zone where they what win nine games and miss the playoffs in <laughs> draft capital. Mm-hmm. They don't get the best draft pick, but they're also what have not. What what, what 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 can they show for the season? You know, I don't want the because I think. Jimmy, with Jimmy coming in, they're not just going to bomb the season in, you know, for that draft no. pick, higher draft pick. But at the same time, I don't know if they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs and make something worth worthwhile out of the season. So it's my my fear for the loss, you know, for the Raiders is that they're going to get into that zone of, like I said, nine wins and miss the playoffs and really give the fans nothing either at, during the season or after the season with the draft. They should petition to move to the AFC South this year instead of having to play Kansas City twice because that just every time you want to talk about expectations for anybody in that division that isn't the Chiefs, you have to have the caveat. Eh, well, they got to play them twice. This is true. This is true. If he could just stay healthy, though, that was kind of the big wild card in San Francisco, you know, is he would not stay healthy for the whole season. So if he could stay healthy, they, I think they have. Listen, they're not Kansas City, but they might be. They might be in there. You never know. Yeah, it's hard to pick the wild card team. The Chargers. Yeah, the Chargers. They're the wild card. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody thinks that the Chargers should be better than they are, and they really do need to take a major step up this year. There's no question. Well, it's like the Clippers. They have to just stay healthy. Which that's they never it. can. No, <laughs> so, that's it. You know, it really is. It's very similar to the Clippers. It really, I mean, in, in the sense that they have talent, but they just never can stay healthy to go where they're supposed to go. It, I mean, it, both LA teams, obviously, and it's just very, very similar in that regard. It, they they always say that the Clippers, the Angels, you know, it's like why do they always get hurt? What is going on there? You know, the Chargers. What what is that secondary? Something always seems to happen, but we'll see. The body's breaking down in all the sunlight. That's that's what's happening, I guess. It's Maybe bad. It's bad. Go, go power, to the East Coast. It's the power <laughs> of the NFL that people are talking about their schedule release as much as they're talking about the NBA and NHL playoffs. Because, mm-hmm. you know, football's number one, right? I mean, come on, let's face it. Yeah. It is. Football's yeah. number one, number two, number three, and then basketball might be number four at this point. 
This is right. Yep. And then, you know, you get baseball. Uh, after the NBA finals are over, you'll have baseball for what? Maybe like a month before football starts again. So then that's it. Yeah, yep. pretty much. No. Football's hey, clockwork. That's for sure. This is right. This is very true. Very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's clockwork. And it, basically there's headlines almost every day, even when there's not a game. And that's More than any other sports. I think you're right, and I think that that's changed over the years because if you go back even 20 years, the NFL draft was nothing. I mean, the NFL draft was mm-hmm. just done in, you know, either, you know, Madison Square Garden where, you know, the top 20 guys would come and you'd have some fans, and it was really not a big event. Now it is a, a week event in a city where – there are programs done around it, and it's just, you know, it's this humongous thing for the NFL Network and ESPN, but it's really, it's changed. You're right. The, the popularity of football has changed the game. Well, Maria, this has been awesome. We have to do this again, like, like you, you said, in July. We definitely will do this in July again, and uh, we'll, we'll talk then about updates in the sport, uh, LA's uh, sports world. That's We're sure we'll have updates by then, so... As I think we so. All, as LA, LA always will. Thanks, right. Maria. Thanks for having Hi, me. I appreciate it. It was fun talking Absolutely. to you guys. Maria Thank Serrer you. from uh, RPB TV in LA, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you again soon, okay? Sounds good. All right. Bye. All right. That was a fantastic interview with Maria Serrero from LA Sports Media. We now head all the way to the East Coast to talk to Dan Day about the Miami Knicks matchup and where he thinks this series is going and beyond for his heat. All right, we now head to Miami and welcome on Dan Day from 560 WQAM in uh, South Beach. How you doing, Dan? Good to have you on again. Everything is great. We're kind of the center of the sports world right now, it seems like. All the South Florida teams are doing pretty, 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 pretty good. Love the Larry David reference there, Curb is one of the best shows ever. But how about uh, South Florida? You guys eliminating all the number one seeds now. That's what we do in South Florida. You know what? We hang loose. We go to the beach. We go to South Beach. We go some of the dive bars and some of the restaurants. Go to Little Havana during the regular season. Then when it gets to be playoff time, we just lock down. We're like, no, no, no more of that. No more boozing. No more chasing people around. No more any of that. It's time to focus in. We take down the one seeds, and, you know, we're just absolutely beautiful. It's one of those things. We get that good momentum, and that's one of the things we've really, really strived on is that we're good regular season teams. We just kind of underachieve. So they're a tough eight seed. They get these one seeds. They kind of start getting in their head. Fear starts kind of creeping in. Insecurity start creeping in. And then it's too late. Next thing you know, you're falling to these Miami teams that are more playoff set than most other teams would be. They're not a true eight seed. That's just, oh, they're lucky to get in the playoffs. This is one of those teams you look at all year. You're like, they're not bad. They're just not playing up to their potential. And the thing is, they're not playing regular season ball. They're playing postseason ball where the game kind of slows down it's a little more defensive and that's both what the heat and the panthers have been able to do this postseason that's why they've been able to take down number ones there's also been some injuries and some illnesses too we're not going to take away from the number one seeds but at the same time that's part of the game we got it done so i'm sure we'll get in the heat in just a second but i kind of have a follow-up as far as the fans because i know miami fans have gotten a lot of criticism over the years for not being like they're being front runner fans of course the 2013 finals comes to mind but What's the vibe down there? Like, what's the fan base actually like from a guy that has more of an insider perspective as opposed to people just kind of out on the outside thinking, oh, these guys just sit on the beach all year and then they show up come playoff time. And, you know, a game starts at 7 o'clock and the fan base shows up at 7.30. Like, is 
that just perception or uh, what's the fan base actually like? I would like to say that is perception, but no, that is really true. It's just a different culture. I actually am originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. I just got back visiting my mom. In Louisiana, for Saints games, for Pelicans games, for LSU Tiger games, people take off the whole day of work and are like, I'm catching every second, the national anthem, the pregame, this, this, this. In Miami, there's just so much to do, and everything is so spread out that fans don't do the whole, oh, I'm going to take off a half a day, or I'm going to do this. like, eh, when I get off of work, I'm going to go home, do what I have to do. I'll get to the game when I get to the game. So the perception of fans maybe not being there when the game starts, that is true. I will be honest. I cannot lie about that. You can see it on TV. You know that's true. But as far as when the fans get there and their wholeheartedness, once they're there, they are true hardcore fans. The people that get there, the people that are there, people all across town are talking about the Heat and the Panthers right now. The only thing is, like I said, with so much to do, like just think about this past weekend. You had a Heat playoff game. You had Panthers playoff game. You had Inter-Miami playing. You had the Miami Grand Prix. You got the beach right down the street that doesn't cost a thing. You can go just have fun and look at women in bikinis. So there's so much going on. Plus, you have all types of multicultures. Think about it. You know, there might be someone from another part of the world that doesn't even really follow that much, whether it be basketball or hockey. So you might say, oh, the fans are kind of lukewarm. Not so much true. The fans that are fans of the sport are just as true of fans as most places you'll find anywhere else in this country. Well, you mentioned last time we had you on how the Heat fans never give up on their team. And I want you to follow up on that more. I know that's something you wanted to talk about last time we had you on, but just didn't have enough time to really get into it. Just how they really do kind of struggle in the regular season, but they they still don't give up on their team, even though, again, the beautiful weather and the struggles they have. You know, when the regular season, Heat fans still believe in them and believe they can make a playoff push every single year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, because they've done it in the past, but also it's something called Heat culture. And not only the players and the coaches bought into it, it seems like the whole community is bought into it. It's a, a way of life. It's a way of living. It's a way of playing. It's a way of thinking. Sometimes people think they're a little better than they actually are. But I'll tell you, I took a lot of bets from my roommates and from my friends before the playoffs even started. Heat are going to win a playoff series. Heat are going to the Eastern Conference Finals. And this is when they were mired at around 500 and, you know, losing to bad teams. I said, there's no way they're going to get out. You don't you don't respect Heat culture. You don't believe. It's this all-for-one, one-for-all mentality. We are better than anyone knows because we are a true Team, and when I say team, I'm not just talking about the players and the coaches, a community coming together as one, and the sum of our parts is better than our individuals, and we are going to find a way because we are the Miami Heat, because we do things the right way, and just because we're grinded out, gritted out, and it also helps to have one of the best coaches in the NBA right now, if not the best coach in the NBA right now. That helps a lot also to have a little bit more, quote-unquote, culture when you're playing in these playoff games and even just regular season games it's a it's a marathon not a sprint heat culture it is all in all the time everyone buys into it and when you have everyone buying in and everyone on the same page seems to be making a pretty big difference well let's talk about spolstra um huge adjustment made between the uh uh bucks compared to the knicks uh bucks uh their game plan was pretty much to outshoot um uh, milwaukee i mean they shot 45% from the three-point line. I mean, Jimmy Butler averaged close to 38 ga- uh, points per game in that series. But now you see the focus with the Knicks kind of shift more to this defensive and physicality kind of gameplay. I mean, Julius Randle is being shut down. Um, you know, they're sh- keeping the Knicks to 8 to 40 from the three-point line in uh, game three. Knicks, I, I know in game three they just had their fewest points since November 9th, and yeah. actually I think it was the – only second time in the season they were held below 90. So 
talk about Spolstra's just adjustments that he made, you know, between these two series, and it's really seeming to pay off. Yeah, no one's going to do more work than Eric Spolster. He is in there nonstop, 24-7. He and his guys just picking and planning and doing everything like that. They saw the matchup with the Bucks. They saw that maybe they had a little more of an advantage on the outside shooting. They saw Giannis go down. They figured, okay, this is what we're going to do. And let's remember what one of the keys is that Spolster relies on and has worked very much so is Jimmy being playoff Jimmy. Jimmy Butler has been the best player in the playoffs. So when the shots might not be falling or not, it's kind of like you sit back and you say, Jimmy, just go do your thing. You know, when all else fails for peaks and valleys, when you're riding the peaks, it's okay. But when you start hitting those valleys, you get Jimmy in there. But you saw the matchup against Milwaukee. Now he kind of sees what's going on with the New York Knicks. New York Knicks, they do have good scores, but not great scores. So if you apply the defense and you can ask a guy like Bam Adebayo, who I think is maybe even a little nicked up, but nonetheless, look, you're going to have to sacrifice a little bit of your points right here because we need you to clamp down, whether it be on Julius Randle or helping out with Jalen Brunson. But that's kind of what they do. They've now focused because they see the matchup where we can get our points. This team is not a superstar explosive team. If we play more defense, we can kind of slow these guys down. So Spolster kind of saw that matchup. Julius Randle may be a little nicked up too. So you kind of take advantage of all that. And he knows that in these playoffs, the, the, you know, the game slows down. It's a little more of a half court game. So the team was kind of already built on that defense. And that was the knock on them all year. They couldn't really score. They didn't have great scores. Well, in the playoffs, that's changed because Jimmy Butler can be Jimmy Butler. He can be the guy that can be your catalyst and your big-time score. Have some other guys. Of course, Gabe Vincent's been absolutely huge for the Heat in these playoffs, too. He's been scoring a lot. But now you clamp down on defense. You can hold this team back. And when you need a little, like, you try to get extra push from your players. No Tyler Hero, no problem. You've got Jimmy Butler, who, and people always say, well, you know, you can't rely on Jimmy Butler. He can't do it every game. I beg to differ. Last playoffs, if you remember last year, he did it every single game pretty much, mm-hmm. all the way through the Eastern Conference Finals to the very last game of the Eastern Conference Finals. So for people that tell me, you know, you, it's not sustainable, you can't rely on Jimmy being playoff Jimmy every game, I say the evidence shows that you can. So you shut down Jimmy, you've got a really good chance, but so far no one's been able to figure that out. And, I'm, and I, I do think that's a major part of Spolster's game planning is, yes, he's playing the defense. He's got the uh, – throwing in some zone, throwing in some man-to-man. He's got Bam guarding Julius Randle. Also, he really does rely on Jimmy Butler being Jimmy Butler in the playoffs, being able to burst every – three or two days in a playoff series and in a game. And when he's hurt, you saw the team ran out of gas in game two against the Knicks. So that's one of those things. Jimmy must be healthy. Jimmy must be playoff. Jimmy, that is one of the linchpins to this Miami Heat successful run. Well, the playoffs really lends to his style of play. Number one, he gets some more days off. You know, if you to do what he does 82 games a year would just totally drive him into the ground. So he has to kind of pick and choose his moments. Plus the playoffs, a little more defensive. They call a little more of the fouls. He's one of those guys that gets to the foul line. So he can get to the foul line. He can be a little more aggressive. He can do all the things. He has a little more time off, so he can kind of rest up, heal up. It's a half-court game. He's a better half-court player than a full-court player. So the slowing down of the game lends itself to him. 
the fouling, the free throw line gives him more rest, gives him chances to score more. And it's just, he's, it's very condu- conducive to the playoffs. And he's actually started hitting threes. That's been a big deal too right there. A lot of people have knocked him. He's not shooting enough threes. He's not making enough threes. He's actually starting to hit that. When he starts hitting that and he starts getting dialed in, yeah, I mean, there's really nothing you can do. And, and you know, the thing is, he has that switch. You know, some guys have that, as we say, certain je ne sais quoi. There's just certain, I don't know what about Jimmy Butler. When he sees playoffs, when he sees those lights on, that is his time to shine. But I do think that his game kind of lends itself to the style of the playoffs, being a little slower, being a little more grinded out, being a little more physical at the same time, and being a half-court game because he's a great half-court player. He doesn't do all the explosive, exciting stuff that you might have seen LeBron James do years ago or some of these other guys that are breakaway, you know, big-time, fast-time players. He's one of those guys that says, let's get dirty. And as we like to say here in South Florida, the Heat and Jimmy Butler, they want to muck with an M, muck it up. Muck it up as much as possible. That's their game. When they're being nasty and dirty like that, that is when the Miami Heat's at their best. And you saw it, especially in Game 3 of the NBA playoff series against the New York Knicks. Uh, yeah and and, you know he played for the chicago bulls and everything like that he's michael jordan's son and you know in some way shape or form in this universe uh you know it it came to him and that's the way he is but a lot of people are asking serious questions about jimmy butler and the way he's made these playoff runs here in miami is he the best playoff player that the heat have ever had of course a lot of people say well Dwayne wade and lebron james they won championships but if you just look at a small sample size and you know just the numbers, he's right up there on the Mount Rushmore or that top three right there. And you can make an argument for just numbers-wise that what he's done is pretty special and how valuable he is to this team. It's amazing to me that they were able to keep up such good three-point shooting, even with Hero out this uh, postseason. Yeah, it has been really it's, – it's been one of those things all year long we struggled, all year long. And all of a sudden it seems like something's clicking. I don't know if it's just the confidence, if it's maybe just a little more focus – all of a sudden, you know, you've got guys like Duncan Robinson hitting threes. You've got Gabe Vincent hitting threes. Max Struess hitting threes. Shooting's conducive. Uh, can, um, what do you call it? Um, uh, do you, I'm losing my words right now. But, yeah, it's one of those things. It's, um, you know, it's the same thing like in baseball. You know, guys start getting hits. Other guys start getting hits. Same thing with this. Guys start knocking down shots. Other guys start knocking down shots. It's just one of those things that it just seems like, has there been a magic potion? Is it maybe the playoffs? Is it maybe the focus? Maybe, maybe it's just everyone's a little more focused in and the stakes are a little higher. They're answering the call and they're seeing other guys knock down shots and saying, Hey, you know, I'm seeing the ball go in. I can put the ball in there too. So it really has been one of those things that seems like it's just kind of caught fire with the team. They see the ball going through and psychologically it's become a lot easier for them. And that has been one of the big, not just the defense, not just Jimmy, but been one of the big differences and one of the main reasons for this run is that the shooting percentage, especially three-pointing percentage, has been much better in the playoffs for the Heat as in the regular season. What has Eric Spolstrom been able to do with these guys outside of Jimmy Butler? You talk about all these undrafted players like Matt Strews, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, guys that aren't exactly household names, but you're rising up to 20, 30-point games. It's a little bit of all of the above, but Pat Riley, of course, along with Jimmy Spolstra, I'm sorry, with uh, Eric Spolstra, what they do is they look for these guys, they find these diamonds in the rough, but they don't just find the best 
undrafted player. They find the player that is going to fit this heat culture the best. So they're not just looking for the best guy they can find. They're looking for the guy that could best fit into what the system they have going on. And they say it all the time. This isn't for everyone. There's been guys that have come here and they're not part of this heat culture, getting up at 530 in the morning, getting to the gym, doing extra workouts and, you know, doing whatever the team asks you to do. They find these guys that are willing to get better and want to get better and say, look, if you're willing to buy in to this culture, where whether it be waking up at 530 in the morning, whether it be doing extra workouts, whether it be not going out on the weekends during the playoffs, which you shouldn't be doing anyway, but they get these guys that they know can service them in a way that they need them and at the same time will fit into this type of culture where everyone's in for the betterment of the team not for the betterment of their points they plug them in and you oftentimes see now a lot of people in Miami don't these guys that are undrafted we've kind of gotten burned in the past by giving them big contracts and they haven't exactly worked out Duncan Robinson and we've had some other like Dion Waiters and stuff in the past so now you see a lot of people like well let's use them for the time they're here and then they go on other teams like Kendrick Nunn went on to another team and they don't it's not the same culture it's not the same nurturing it's not an easy enough fit for them. So it's one of those things. They find these guys in the rough that they know are going to fit into this culture and that will buy into this culture. They buy in and all of a sudden things start working. And then again, yes, Jimmy Butler, the way he's scoring, the way people are going all over, bam out of bio also, it kind of helps out to loosen things up on them a little bit. But also you've got guys like Jimmy and Bam who have bought into this culture saying, it's not about my points, it's about winning games. If that means not scoring any points and getting 15 assists and 15 rebounds, then that's what I'm going to do. And to find a superstar, and I do believe Jimmy Butler's a superstar, even if the rest of the world might not totally, to find a superstar that legitimately believes that, and he is by far the leader of your team, It's everyone else just kind of falls into line. And when he's willing to be like that, everyone else is willing to be like that. So if a undrafted Gabe Vincent or Omer Yurtsevin is wide open, they know they're going to get the ball and they're going to be expected to make the shot. And they feel as though that they're a valuable part of this team. And, you know, they step up for that moment and they make that big shot or they make that big play because it is their team effort. And it starts with the leader right there with Eric Spolster and Jimmy Butler being all about the team. When Nolo Depot went down, you know, in the first round, say about 15 days ago, uh, were people calling into the station just saying that the season's over? We're just hanging up. There's no, there's no chance with him gone or, and does it even make it more impressive now, the fact that you're doing all this even without Oladipo, one of your best scorers behind Jimmy Butler the entire season? I'll say when Oladipo went down, at the point he was uh, coming off the bench, he wasn't very, very, very productive at all. So you got kind of two sides of the story. Number one, uh, you hate to lose him because you know there's going to be a game or two in the playoffs where he will come and make a difference and score a bunch of points and possibly help you win that game. But then there's the other side that was just like, you know, he really wasn't doing all that much. He would give you maybe four or five points a game. It's not the biggest loss in the world. Same thing even with Tyler Hero. When Tyler Hero broke his hand in that game one against the Milwaukee Bucks, a lot of fans weren't too down on it, really. They were kind of, you know, we're going to miss him, but we got other guys that can facilitate and other guys that can score. Now, when Jimmy hurt his ankle, there was, you know, national outcry and worry and, you know, women willing to sell their firstborn child for him to be okay. That right there was a big deal. But it really, with Victor Oladipo, he hasn't been the biggest factor for the Heat this year. Didn't expect him to be that much of a factor for the Heat in the playoffs. But like I said, maybe he'll help you win one game coming out. He'll come out and get you 20 points in just one game. Tyler Hero even, you know, he's been good. He's been averaging double digits. But at the same time, 
we felt as though it wasn't necessary to have Tyler Hero to win all these games. So fans have been pretty even keel, at least on those two injuries. Now, in game two against the Knicks, when you have Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, and Victor Oladipo out, that's when people started worrying. That's that's three players that you're not having on your team, two of the best, to be honest with you, because truly, Bam Adebayo, as much as you want to believe he's an all-star and all this, he is third option on this team when it comes to scoring, sometimes even fourth. And some people are very upset about that here in South Florida also. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. If Heat fans are honest with themselves, and you know, every fan base is not honest with themselves, they say, we'll take on anybody. We don't care. We want a rematch. No, you want the 76ers. If you are the Miami Heat, you definitely want the 76ers. You're familiar with them in the season. You played them well in the season. You actually match up with them pretty well. Joel Embiid's a little bit nicked up. James Harden, you never know what you're going to get from him. He's a feast or famine type of guy. You know there's no one out there that's really going to match up. Maybe Tyrone Maxey a little bit with Jimmy Butler, but Jimmy's just going to be Jimmy. To me, it's a great matchup for the Philadelphia 76ers. The Celtics, to me, that's the matchup you don't want because they've got the star power. They've got the defense. They've got, it seems like, everything. Even though they are 2-2 at Philadelphia right now, it just seems like the Celtics, like they had us last year, kind of the same team, kind of the same thing going on right there. I could kind of see a lot of the same things like a Game 7 in the Eastern Conference Finals happening. With 76ers, I think that it's just a matchup nightmare, especially if Joel Embiid is not 100% for them. And I think if anybody is a Heat fan and they're being honest and you, in your heart of hearts you ask them, hey, who do you want once you get past the Knicks? Because I really do believe they've outplayed the Knicks every moment of every game except maybe the very beginning of Game 1 and the very end of Game 2. Other than that, they're just a better team. Most Heat fans, in, in their heart of hearts, if you had to ask them, they would say 76 or Same thing with the Panthers. When the Panthers get past the Bruins, you know how relieved people were when the Tampa Bay Lightning lost to the Toronto Maple Leafs because Toronto, the Tampa Bay has been our own. They've owned us for so long. And some people are like, oh, no, we want revenge. No, you don't. We've seen these plays before. Uh, I want to see a new play. Let us, let us write our own narrative. So 76ers are definitely the team that most Heat fans want to face. Yeah, you're kind of right about that. Number one, I would say Dolphins, Miami Hurricanes, Heat. Then you go Panthers, then you go Marlins, Inter-Miami and stuff like that. But, I mean, both teams are on such a magical run right now. And they're playing, and that's not just a magical run. They're playing so well. I mean, look, look at the, the Panthers are up 3-0 now on the Maple Leafs. Why they're playing game four for statistics only. We know that that's what's going to happen there. I mean, the Heat could easily wrap this thing up in five. I think they do it in six. Just, you know, the Knicks are going to throw the kitchen sink. But Miami, first and foremost, at least recently, has been basketball town first. Basketball, basketball, basketball. It's because of the success we have with the Miami Hurricanes. It's because of the success the Miami Heat have had. It also lends itself to the South Florida culture. You're inside. It's C&B scene. It's cooler in there. It does all that. So when you get into like Miami, Miami Dade, it's probably like 70, 30 heat when you get up into Broward County, which is a 
County North where the Panthers are, it's probably like 60-40 heat. But no, I would say overall, yeah, you're probably looking at 65-35, mostly heat. But that doesn't take away from the loud, loud 35% that these Panthers are getting because people that are hockey fans, they're through and through hockey fans till the day they die. So uh, it is hardcore on both sides. I think everyone is really excited equally. But if you had to ask most people, all right, same night, you got – the Heat playing in a playoff game at home or the Panthers playing in a playoff game at home. Most people here in South Florida, like I said, about 65% of them would take Heat tickets to go see them at the old Caseya, or I shouldn't say the old, the new Caseya Center. Is that because of the history of the uh, floor, of the Panthers mostly? I mean, Heat have had much more of a winning history, and especially in the uh, most recent history. I mean, what if the Florida Panthers would go on to win it this year? Would that change next year? Would fans – be a lot more interested in hockey in Florida, uh, in Miami, uh, given uh, Panthers finally get some success here. Yeah, well, success always brings more and more fans, whether they're true fans or not fans. There would be more, and they are selling out, to be honest. They're selling out all the uh, Stanley Cup playoff games. And I know a lot of people say, yeah, but it's all Toronto fans. Actually, it's been a very, very large contingent of Florida Panthers fans because they're seeing how this season is going. But the thing is, down here, it's going to always probably be more Heat than Panthers. Even if, let's say, the Heat peter out and lose in the Eastern Conference playoffs, and let's say the Panthers would go on to win the championship, there would still be a lot of excitement. But you have to understand the culture down here in South Florida. Number one, for a long time, the Heat have been very good. A lot of people have grown up the big three, biggest show in sports. That's what they love. That's what they know. Also, very multicultural. You have a lot of people from Central, South America, even a lot of European people. They maybe don't understand hockey as much as some of these people from some of the other countries, whether it be Argentina or whether it be Spain or whether it be Brazil. They understand basketball, maybe not so much hockey. And the other thing is the weather. It never drops below 45 degrees here in South Florida. So a lot of people say, oh, man, I I can't go watch people run around on ice when I live in a tropical paradise. So I think with all those factors in there, the heat, at least for now, especially since they have continued to be successful, they always are a perennial playoff team deep into the playoffs. I think for now, with all that foundation, everything set, it's going to be a heat city for a little while longer. The only person that could really upseat them, unseat them would be the Dolphins and the Hurricanes football team. And, you know, fingers crossed we can get to a tongue of Aloha upright all season long. And then you might really start seeing some some big time Dolphins love here. Not, and not that there isn't already, but whoo, crazy Dolphins love here in South Florida. But let's talk about the uh, Panthers for a second. Uh, goaltending has been amazing. Uh, just in game two, we've had here a couple nights ago, Sergio Bobrovsky, 35 save game, um, third in the postseason now with five goals saved above expected. Uh, is that what really is helping the Panthers win uh, in this postseason so far is the goaltending or would you attribute it to something else? I would say goaltending is a large part of it, but we were really frustrated here in South Florida because last year, President's Cup winners, we were so excited. We got through our first playoff round in like 20 years, and then they fired the coach, Andrew Burnett, and then they made some changes, got um, Kachuk in here. They traded off some of the guys, and from day one, new coach Paul Maurice said, hey, we're not playing for the regular season. We're playing for the postseason. We're not worried about what our record's going to be in the regular season. We're making it all about the postseason. And it was a frustrating year, Uh, as you said, an eight seed. And we were like, you got to make the playoffs to even do anything. And a lot of people were calling for Paul Maurice's head. And he said, you know, just trust in the process, believe in this. And I asked, I said, well, what's the difference between regular season hockey and playoff hockey? And they told me, they said, 
it's more sustainable. You're not just hot flash scoring, trying to outscore the other team, outshoot, outrun, outgun. You're actually putting a little more defense in there. You're a little more sturdy. You're not relying on having big games all the time on offense. You're steadier. And sure enough, you know, I, I even did it. I called out Paul Maurice. I was like, the jury's about to go into deliberation. Now is your time. And you know what? The jury's going to come back and it's going to rule in his favor because they have done everything right in this playoffs, despite being down 3 1 to Boston. But I think it's just, it's a combination of Bobrovsky has really stepped up. He has really started to play on, you know, playoff hockey goaltending. But at the same time, he has a defense that helps him out a little bit, which in the last year they didn't. They were all trying to just press forward and score more goals. This team helps him out a little bit more on defense. And then Bobrovsky has been great. Another thing people don't want to, people forget a lot of times, Paul Maurice, unbelievable challenge coach. It seems like everything he challenges, he gets right. And it saved us goals this postseason. And a goal here, a goal there that another team doesn't get can make a huge difference in not just a game, but in a series. So Bobrovsky, probably the biggest reason. But number two, playing a little more steady defense and not hot flash trying to score and, you know, be the the, the fastest show on ice has really helped the Panthers out this postseason. So you would say it's more... Uh, Panthers and not Toronto being Toronto in the playoffs? Uh, it's a combination. From the very beginning, before this series even started, I said the Panthers are hot, and I was making a reference to the Mob Deep song called Shook Ones. You know, if you've ever seen 8 Mile, scared to death, scared to look, they're shook, ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Maple Leafs, look, they were just happy to get out of round one. They were happy to get the monkey off their back. They were happy to get the media off their back for a minute. They were happy to say, we won a playoff series the first time in 19 years. They weren't looking to win another series. They're shook. They're done. They're on Cancun. This Panthers team is locked in. They're, they beat Boston. Now they feel as though they have all the momentum. They feel as though they can beat anybody because they've beaten Boston. They've now been battle-tested. I just looked at the Maple Leafs, and I said, this is going to be a sweep. There's just no way. And sure enough, you know, Toronto has tried a lot of things and it just hasn't worked because they're scared to death. They're scared to look. They're shook. They're, they're shook. They they were never in this series. I don't think they were mentally really in this series. And yeah, it's also the curse of being Toronto. Get in the playoffs. You're the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, we're the Florida Panthers. We're not saying that, that much more, but we were the hotter team with a little more focus, a little more sustainability. This team, the Maple Leafs, you know, they're just happy that they got through. And, it, and it's kind of shown throughout the series, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, you watch, you watch Toronto play. It's, it's no surprise that they're down three uh, with the Panthers right now. I mean, they're not finishing checks. They're basically bumping into each other on the ice, tripping over each other. Uh, I think they have one of the highest icing uh uh, penalties in the whole postseason so far. So, yeah, I mean, I think – do you think they sweep uh, Toronto yeah. here tomorrow? Yeah, you think they – I do too. Like I mean, said, I, I think, think game four right. is for statistics only. It's a formality. Uh, I said it uh, – you know, I predicted the first game, second game, and then I said third game, this is it. Like, the series – only chance Toronto gives themselves – False hope, because that's all it's going to be is false hope, is if they win this game, it's 2-1. You feel as, oh, we still got a shot. Nah, nah, nah. I was like, Panthers win the other night. I was like, it's done. Like, there's no way Toronto is going to show up and try to rally the troops. They're, they're done. They're done. And like I said, I think they were done when they beat Tampa in that first round, to be honest with you. And I know Toronto Maple Leafs fans don't want to hear it, but they probably would agree with me for the most part. Whoo! Like I said, both of them have really tough, 
Tough matchups in the Eastern Conference Finals. The, uh, I, I mean, I still believe the Carolina Hurricanes, although they lost last night, they're much better than the New Jersey Devils. And outside of the Rangers falling apart, the New Jersey Devils probably shouldn't be there. The Hurricanes have owned us over the past couple of years. That's a tough one. Like I said, I do believe you're going to get a Heat. Celtics rematch in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I don't think that's a very good matchup, like I said, for the Miami Heat either. So who has the better shot? The only reason I'm going to pick the Florida Panthers is because of goaltending. If Bobrovsky can stand on his head and start really making a difference like he has been in these playoffs, and the Panthers can keep their mojo going, and you know, hockey is so more unpredictable than maybe a lot of other sports, I believe that you get Bobrovsky standing on his head, he plays out of his mind, the confidence, you got Matthew Kachuk, who, you know, he's just a tough son of a gun that's going to go out there and make havoc and be a great player all over the place, you got Verhage that's been playing good, you got all the guys that, you know, they can stay hot, and especially if Bobrovsky can play well, I think they have the best chance of having that big parade here in South Florida. All right, Dan, this has been awesome. I'll leave you with this. Uh, Jets obviously have Aaron Rodgers now coming into town. Buffalo Bills, I think, also Super Bowl favorites again. Leading, Well, one of the top three Super Bowl favorites leading into next year. Uh, what happens to the Dolphins next season? I know it's not super relevant right now. I know we spend a lot of time talking about the Heat and the Panthers, which is obviously very current. Um, what, what are the Dolphins doing next year? Are they making the playoffs? Oh, yeah. Dolphins are definitely making the playoffs. They have a great team. They have gotten all types of great additions in the free agent market, not so much in the draft. Nonetheless, I'll tell you, people here in South Florida, when the trade went through for Aaron Rodgers, they said, I'm not scared of him. We're not scared of the Jets. Look what we did with the Bills last year. We beat them once. We darn near beat them in their place on a cold night. We almost went into the playoffs with our third-string quarterback and beat them. So we're not scared of the Bills. We're not scared of Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Definitely not scared of the Patriots. We hate the Patriots. but. Once again, that one word keeps creeping in, but Tua Tungabaloa has to stay healthy. That's what everybody says. Everybody says the sky is the limit, but Tua Tungabaloa has to stay healthy. If Tua is not healthy, I was like, Mike White's a good, he's a good backup. He's going to be okay. No, 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 no. Mike White, as much as you want to believe in him, not going to get it done. So I think the sky is the limit. I think actually the Dolphins could make it to the AFC championship game, maybe even sneak into the playoffs, but Tua Tungabaloa needs to stay healthy. Are they uh, are fans upset that they really did? They really did not get any backup this year uh, under Tua. I, I think mean, it's Scott Thompson is their best backup right now, and you know, well, Mike, Mike White. They got Mike White. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we're at this point now where we we've said, but Tua has to stay healthy for so long that what does it matter anymore? We know that. All of our, we're all in. All the chips are in. It needs to be two of Mike McDaniel. Get Tyreek Hill. Get Jalen Waddle out there. Get them going. Hopefully the defense can sure some things up. I think we're at that point now where we're just tired. We're ready. All chips in. Tua, stay healthy. Win games. Win championships. If you go down, it's basically, I mean, I hate to say it, it's almost like we're starting over again because if he has another very bad concussion or two concussions this year, there's a real chance that he won't be in the league next year. So, you're looking at it and you're saying, no, 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 now it's time, you know, all in, all in. That's that's the way we want to be. We want to be all in. And hopefully this bet pays off because if it doesn't, then like I said, you might be starting to look at a team that's going to start rebuilding a little bit because they're going to have to start over with a new quarterback. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, I was saying earlier on my show Sports Day and also Day at Night when I'm on on the weekdays, what would be an acceptable season if you're a Dolphins fan? And I honestly said, I was like, you have to get into the playoffs and you have to win a playoff game. If you don't, this has been a disappointment of a season if you're a Dolphins fan. Whether two is healthy or not, that, the expectation is extremely high. Like I said, I would say if we get to the AFC championship game, and I'm not even saying win the AFC East, we don't have to win any of that, but if you get to the AFC championship game or at least win one game, that's acceptable. Anything less than that, this season has been a disaster. Do you think the Super Bowl is a realistic possibility? Yes. If they stay very healthy and they can get hot at the right time, I believe they can get into the Super Bowl. And then when you get into the Super Bowl, as we know, we've seen in the past couple of years, anything can happen. I do believe there can be like a team like the Bengals were last year, kind of under the radar, find a way, get hot, get a good matchup in the AFC championship game and get in. Now, if they get it to the Super Bowl, this is a hugely successful season. But I still think winning a playoff game, or, and of course, you would have to win a playoff game to get into the AFC championship game, but not exactly having to win the AFC East. Just win a playoff game, and I think this year will be seen deemed a success. Haven't won a playoff game in, in forever. Yeah. There was times with Dan Marino when they were in the AFC Championship game pretty much every other year. And now we just want to get into the playoffs and win a game. That's all we need right now. We're just hoping right there. Tough, very tough. They're a very tough division. So uh, it should be exciting. But I think Dolphins fans, we're ready to go. I think most Dolphins fans have no fear. No fear of Aaron Rodgers. No fear of the Buffalo Bills. Bill Belichick doesn't scare us and own us like he used to. So Tua, stay healthy. We'll be all right. We'll be dancing late into the season. Dolphins haven't won a playoff game since 2000, I believe, when they beat uh, mm. Manning. Uh, there you back go. In, back in yeah, 23 wow, so. years. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, it sounds like you guys have a high expectations, though, for the Dolphins this year. I mean, I'm hearing AFC Championship, uh, at least one playoff game or bust. Uh, we all know the AFC is packed this year, and let alone uh, their division. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm, I'm excited for them, and we're all wishing that Tua stays healthy, uh, healthy obviously. Um, well, Dan, this has been awesome. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, catch Dan day and night, uh, 560 WQAM on Odyssey uh, up, up in Miami in the South Beach area. Uh, Dan, we'll have to do this again sometime. We really appreciate your time and, and love talking to you as always. Anytime, guys. Always love joining you guys, having some fun and talking some sports. All right. We'll be doing yep. this again, okay? Yep, yep. Give me a holler anytime, brother. It will do. All right. Take appreciate care, it. Bye, bye. Okay, let's finish up the show with our off the maps and long hauls of the week. Justin, we'll start with you. Who is your off the map of the week? My off the map of the week is the NBA playoff format. The bottom bottom five seeds are in this tournament. This is the first time in a long time, which I think is great for the league. You have an eight seed and a seven seed and a six seed both battling it out, obviously, with the Warriors and the Lakers. The Lakers were a playing team, and now they have the number seven seed. They're going up against Golden State, having the number six seed. And then you have the Heat and the Knicks, you know, an eight seed versus a five seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, could it, could it be parity that these teams get to the finals? 
Maybe, but I think that would be very interesting. So your bottom five seed in the NBA playoffs get to the NBA finals, potentially probably going to get to the conference finals for the first time in over 10 years. I mean, I think that's great for the league and I think that's great for the sport that they need more. They need more parity. They need to, you know, stir it up a little bit more. You know, we just had LeBron and the Warriors and the top, top, uh, you know, five Mm -hmm. seeds instead of the, you know, bottom three seeds, that being the five, six, seven, and eight seeds, you know, going this far into the playoffs. I think it's great for the league. I think the power, I think the NBA needed this, you know, for the first time in a long time, as I just said, I think the league, you know, needs more parity. Well, it's two, it's two uh, playing teams that are going to mm-hmm. go to their respective conference finals, which is amazing. I mean, that, that's amazing. It it's great for the sport. It's, it's why people like NHL so much, because anything can happen. And teams that are expected to do really well, I mean, look at the Boston Bruins this year. Uh, President's Cup winners, uh, majority favorite to win the whole Stanley Cup finals, and they couldn't get that done, obviously. And like I said, that's why people like NHL playoffs so much, and I think it's great for the league, and I think that's something that people really aren't talking about. Uh, people are just saying how you know, how exciting it is to watch these games, but people have to realize it's really good for the league too, and it might be something that Adam Silver might have to think about going going forward and how he might make adjustments to the NBA playoffs to, to really make it anyone's game every single year, which is we, we can see the fans are really loving. Uh, Zach, how about you? How about, who's your off the map of the week? My off the map of the week is the all NBA teams. And what I mean by that is not who's on it or who's not on it, but because of the impact that it has as far as guys being able to get max salaries, John Morant cannot get a max salary because he was not on the NBA on any of the all NBA teams this year. Uh, Devin Booker can't get a max contract because he wasn't on any of the any all NBA teams this year. So the fact that we are putting players salaries in the hands of sports writers to me seems a little bit out there it seems a little bit unfair these guys are not getting the money they deserve because there's a media member like mark jackson who didn't put nikola Jokic on his mvp ballot entirely like there has to be a different format and i don't know what the perfect format is i don't know if it's players i don't know if it's a mix of players and media guys but the fact that media guys are dictating these guys salaries i don't think seems quite right for my yeah yeah for my off the map, I am going to go with the bidding war for the Ottawa Ottawa Senators. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, Snoop Dogg, and The Weeknd all interested in buying the team. Uh, team currently listed at $800 million, uh, according to Forbes, 24th out of the 30, 30 NHL teams. Uh, the, the Senators are selling the team. The front office is selling the team due to the death of the owner, Eugene Melanick, uh, earlier this year. Uh, the Melanick family purchased the Senators uh, two decades ago for $92 million, and now they're worth $800 million. Uh, sports teams, have we, I mean, we've seen it this year with the Washington Commanders. Uh, such a good investment, and it's also just a way for these celebrities that have so much money to really invest their money and not pay taxes on them and, uh, you know, kind of shovel their money into something else. So definitely we've been seeing a lot of celebrities interested in uh sports scenes throughout the last 10 years and this is just another example and i'm all for bidding wars and especially such high names such as ryan reynolds snoop dogg and the weekend like i said 
I hope uh, Ryan Reynolds wins this bidding war, though. Uh, for one, he's he's awesome. Obviously, everyone loves him. He's hilarious. Everything he touches, uh, he makes money off of. And But most importantly, he's already come out and said that he will do another reality TV show with the Senators, uh, similar to like he did with uh, Wrexham in Welcome to Wrexham. Uh, that would be awesome. I think that would be great for the NHL, and I already know the NHL is very interested in him buying the Senators for this reason. Uh, but we'll see what happens. The final day to submit an official bid for the team is this Monday, the 15th, and uh, we'll have to just see what happens. But like I said, I'm all, I'm all for Ryan Reynolds winning the bid and uh, having his second uh, professional team here in, in the Americas now, the first team in America. All right, now for the long hauls. Uh, Justin, who was your long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is the schedule leaks out of the NFL. I think that the N- I think that we are kind of pushing the envelope. It's like a movie trailer or a movie commercial, right? You know the you know the scenes. Like when you're going into a movie, you just say, you know, oh, I want to be surprised. You know, I already. It's like I already saw that scene in that uh, in the trailer. Oh, when is it's. It's kind of like when you're going into a movie, you just say, "What? what's, you know, when is this scene coming? When, uh, you know, the bridge falls apart and, you know, let's say the Dark Knight Rises or whatever that movie is. That's what it's like with this NFL schedule leaks. And uh, I think they should just release, you know, I, I will give give them a little bit of credit this time, you know, this year. You know, they didn't just release the whole thing, you know, five hours before eight o'clock tonight. You know, at least they, you know, they let a little bit out. They dropped some nuggets, but then they, you know, then they released the whole thing. I will say that, but I think that the leaks, you know, they need to, they need to scale the leaks back a bit or just release it a day, you know, before Thursday at eight o'clock or, you know, different hour, you know, you know, way before Thursday at eight o'clock, just either the same day or a different day. Just, you know, don't leak the whole thing out. It's like spoilers mm-hmm. when you go into a movie. Well, it's like we, we talked about with Maria earlier in the show. Um, and and it, NFL are kings of keeping everyone engaged, even when there's nothing going on. Uh, even in the off season, when there's no news, they make news and are just kings at keeping people engaged even during this time. And they always will be king and they always will own the sports media world even when nothing is happening on the field. My long haul is very similar to that, Justin. I just think the actual hype over the schedule release is just way too much. I mean, going into the schedule release, we already know who's going to be playing what teams every single year. It's just when they're going to be playing them. And I think people get way too excited for when that, I mean, all I really care about for my team particularly is who are they going to be playing? I don't care when they're going to be playing them or even what time they're going to be playing them. Uh, I just want to know what the matchups are going to be. And I think it just gets way overhyped and people talk about it way too much uh, about the schedule release. And it just has too much attention uh, brought to it every single year. Um, Zach, I can't disagree with you more. I love this. I love, I want to know who's playing Monday night and Sunday night games. I want to know who's playing on Thanksgiving. I want to know who's playing on Christmas because I want to dissect these games. It matters who's playing the opening night of the NFL season. The hype is warranted. And the fact of the matter is the NFL regular season is bigger than the NBA or NHL regular season because there's less teams that make the playoffs. Every game feels more important. So yeah, I, I think it gets the hype it deserves. All right. 
Is that uh, who's your long haul of the week, Zach? So my long haul of the week is the teams that are playing primetime games. Uh, so the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Bills, and the Cowboys get six, which is the maximum you're allowed to get. The Jets get five, not surprising. The Packers getting five is surprising without Aaron Rodgers now with Jordan Love. The Vikings getting five maybe a little surprising, but uh, Vikings fans don't like that because we know Kirk Cousins, not so good in primetime. Vegas getting five. Definitely surprises me. Jimmy Garoppolo is not really a needle mover as far as the quarterback position. Eagles, 49ers, no surprise. The Detroit Lions, like, what are what are these guys? Like, they started the year one and six. They finished eight and two. There's a lot of hype around them, and they're getting four primetime games, including the opening game of the season. And I just, I'm not ready to buy in. They remind me a lot of the 2019 Browns where the previous year, they had been so bad for so long. Baker comes in, they have a pretty good season. They go seven, eight, and one. And there's a ton of hype about, okay, Baker's ready to go. The Browns are good. They're going to make the playoffs. The next year they collapsed. They weren't very good. They couldn't handle the expectations. And I just worry the same thing's happening with the Detroit Lions. This is a franchise not used to expectations, and I'm just not sure they're ready to deal with those expectations. And we have to remember they were 1-6 in six at one point last year, so maybe the offseason hype is a little too much for the Lions because where did they notably get better? I don't, I don't see – like there isn't a big signing that made everybody jump out of their seats and say, yeah, that's definitely going to improve their team. Like the Jets are different. Because they got Aaron Rodgers, and they were already nearly a playoff team last year. I think the Lions are going to be the most overhyped team in the NFC going into next season. And you think they're going to basically fall under the pressure because of all this hype? Yeah. Well, the only thing that might save them is the fact the NFC North, I don't believe, is going to be a very good division because Aaron Rodgers is gone. I think the Vikings, they won 12 one-score games or 11 one-score games, whatever it was last year. They're going to, That average is going to fall back to the mean. And it wouldn't surprise me if the Bears end up kind of being this year's Jaguars, you know, team with a good young quarterback, improved pieces around him, maybe go from worst to first in a winnable division. So you have no, you have no uh, confidence in Jordan Love then? Not really. I've seen Jordan, yeah. when, when I've, whenever I've watched Jordan Love play, I've just not been all that impressed. And I really wasn't impressed with him when he was coming out of Utah State anyway. And of course, Minnesota will probably win the or will will make the playoffs. I don't know if they'll win the NFC uh, North, but they'll at least make the playoffs. And I think that division's only getting one playoff team. Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I think the North is actually going to get better this year. You know, I think Detroit. You know, I think they're going to be in it, but I don't think they're they're that good of a team. I mean, you know, Jared Goff is is still their quarterback and. You know, as I said in the interview with Maria, I think the Dolphins should have got the primetime game to start the season. Instead, they're going to be playing in, in Germany. I mean, you know, why not put the Lions and the Chiefs, you know, put that game in Germany instead of uh, instead of the Dolphins? That'll be a much more interesting game with Tua, you know, his first, you know, first start after last season with all the concussions, Tyreek Hill making his return to Kansas City. The Dolphins are going to be an interesting team this year. I mean, well, they, I feel well, like the Dolphins should have got more primetime games. Yeah, they only got three, which surprised me. Yeah. I was going to ask you guys. Well, they want to keep the attention off two on his concussions probably, NFL. Uh, I want to ask you, is AFC East the best division this year? In your, yeah, in your I don't think there's any question. I think you look at the Bills, I still think – they're one of the three or four best teams in football. Josh Allen, we know what he is. Uh, and I think they got better at the running back position. The the Jets, 
Aaron Rodgers is coming on to a great defense, a really good running game. I think the Jets are the favorites in the AFC East because I think they've got the best overall roster. And then the Dolphins go out and get Jalen Ramsey. They make a couple moves. They re-sign Raheem Moster. Really like what they have, but of course there's that caveat of is Tua going to be healthy. And the Patriots are not a bad team either, and everybody's already putting them in last place. But this is a team that was one win away from going to the playoffs last year. So, yeah, I, I think the AFC East from top to bottom is the best division in football. Justin, do the Jets, Dolphins, and Bills all make the playoffs? I think so, yeah. I think you're going to see the Dolphins and the Jets. but I I still think Buffalo wins the division. You know, I still think the Jets will, you know, I think think it's going to be a – the Jets will win 12 games, same with the Bills. But I think the the Jets and the Bills, you know, end up playing for the division. I think it's going to come down to those two teams – and I think the Dolphins get a wild card. I still don't think, you know, I think New England could win about maybe eight, nine games. You know, they could be the best. You know, I don't think they're the best team in the division. You know, they're certainly the least the least good out of this out of this division. I think the AFC East will be the the best division, not just in the AFC, but in this league this year. AFC East will be like the NFC East uh, last year. Have three of the teams go to the playoffs. Much better. Um, than, I, I, I can argue much better than the NFC East last year. Well, everybody in that division had at least a 500 record because Washington went 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You can see sure. New England doing that this year. Maybe sure. even a tie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well. Well, guys, that's a great uh, great show. Uh, what's our, uh, we'll finish with predictions uh, for the week. Uh, well, what are your predictions, Justin, as we head into the weekend, in the week ahead? I think the Lakers and the Warriors are going to go seven. I think the Warriors win tomorrow night, and they force a game seven. I think there's gonna it's going to be a very interesting game seven uh, on Sunday with the Lakers and the Warriors. I think the Lakers and the Warriors will go seven games. And who wins, did you say, game seven? I got to go with the Warriors here. I think the Warriors come all the way back from 3-1 down and defeat the Lakers. Okay. Zach, what's your prediction for the week? Well, the Sixers are already coming back against the Celtics. They've grabbed the lead. So I'm going to say the Sixers finish it off tonight, and the Lakers are going to finish off the Warriors tomorrow night. And I think as far as Game 7s are concerned, I think we're only going to get one, and that's Nuggets-Suns. I think the Suns get it done tonight. I think they force a Game 7. I think Miami wraps it up against the Knicks. So we're only going to get one Game 7. I'm going to go to the NHL. Um, I, Oilers and Vegas, uh, as we know, currently tied at 2-2, heading into Friday night game five. Uh, I think the Oilers are going to win the series and head on to the uh, Western Conference Finals. I've been riding the Oilers all uh, playoffs long, as we all know. I think they're a really good team. Connor McDavid is the best in the league. Uh, so yeah, I don't think anyone stops the Oilers, and I think they end up going on to the Western Conference Finals and uh, potentially even the Stanley Cup. But we'll get to it when we get to that point. Well, guys, uh, great show. Uh, we'll do it all again next week. Uh, until then, keep on traveling. <laughs>